0: Hello and welcome to another episode of The Coder Career with me, Cameron Blackwood. Today's guest is Kent C. Dodds. Now, if you've been around the web development industry for a while, chances are you will have come across Kent's work at some point. Kent's been involved with organizations like Frontend Masters, not to mention numerous conferences across the world. Today's podcast is a story of Kent's journey from discovering coding from an unlikely place and then from there being involved in some of the biggest open source projects in the world. And of course, not forgetting his most recent move, the release of his epic web course. If you're looking to learn how to maximize your impact both in your own career and in the industry as a whole, this is a must listen. I learned an absolute ton myself and I'm sure you will too. If this is your first time listening, welcome and don't forget to join our Discord, the link's in the description. But without further ado, here is my conversation with Kent C. Dodds. Hey Ken, thanks so much for joining me. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing great. How are you?
0: Yeah, I'm I'm doing well. Uh as I as I was just saying before the recording started, um it is it is Bonfire Night season which for people who aren't familiar, uh that's where we all let off fireworks in the UK. So apologies to the listeners if there's any uh, if there's any loud noises uh in the background of the uh, of this recording. So, um obviously I'm very familiar with yourself Kent because you're one of the biggest uh ways that I actually got into software engineering. Um but for people who aren't familiar with you, do you want to say a little bit about who you are and what what you do?
1: Sure. Yeah. So uh, yeah, thank you so much for having me on here. I'm, I'm glad that um, what I've done was helpful to you. Uh, so I have been uh, in involved in software for over a decade. I graduated with a degree in, uh, a master's degree in information systems in uh, 2014. And um, I emphasized my education on web development. Um, and so, yeah, it's been, uh, uh, I started um, working uh I, I like to say that I, um, I've i been in web development officially since the first time I ever got paid to do uh, web development stuff, which was around like 2013. Uh, so it's been, uh, well, 2012-ish. Uh, so yeah, it's been about uh, over a decade now. Um, and so uh yeah i i worked at a number of companies and eventually found my uh myself uh, spending a lot of time uh teaching on the side so i would do conferences and meetups and and then i started doing courses and workshops and i found uh that uh if i when i created testingjavascript.com um where i teach about uh javascript or uh, testing javascript <laughs> um I was able to earn um, enough to uh, satisfy uh, my family's needs, and so I didn't have to work after hours doing that stuff, and instead I could do that full-time. And so I went full-time uh, teacher in, I think, 2019. Um, and uh, yeah, I have been. Uh, I took a little break as uh, one of the co-founders of Remix uh, for uh, about 10 months. Uh, and so back in last August, I left Remix to start up with Epic Web Dev. Um, and uh, yeah, between testing JavaScript and Epic Web, there was also Epic React uh, that I created as well. And so yeah, Epic Web is what I'm working on right now.
0: So you're basically you're a very 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 busy guy.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I can get busy. Yeah, I, I'm I'm kind of busy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and so you, you said you've been in the industry for like a little bit, a little bit over a decade now. What was it that inspired you to originally get into the world of technology? Was it something that's always been there?
1: Yeah. So. Um, When I was a a teenager, um, I had a friend who uh, was into developing software. He he wrote a server in C, and I was like, I don't even know what that means. Uh, And he tried to explain it to me, and I just I couldn't get it. He was like, Here's what a he was trying to teach me uh, programming and data types. And so he's like, This is what a number is, and here's what a, a boolean is. So I was like, okay, I guess I kind of make that makes sense. And then he said, "Here's a string," and I just remember being really confused. What a string was like? What does that even mean? And so uh, I I kind of stayed away from programming. Um, I did a little bit of HTML and CSS for a blog that I uh, I wrote um, as a teenager um, on Blogger. Um, but uh, yeah, I didn't really go too much deeper than that. Um, and so. When I was uh, at at college, when I went to uh, to Brigham Young University, um, I had to decide what what I wanted to do for my uh, degree, and so I went into electrical engineering because I knew I liked computers. I just wasn't sure I wanted to program them. I I don't know. I who knows what they want to do in their first year of college. So I just decided electrical engineering. My brother had done that, and that sounded interesting. Uh, I ended up taking two programming classes and did not do. Uh, I, I didn't enjoy them. I did well. I did, I did just fine. Um, but I had to spend a lot of time working on that. And uh, I, I just didn't see the practicality of it. Um, and so I just said, uh, maybe this isn't for me, I'll find something else. I, I went on a two year mission for my church. And when I came back, I um, I realized, okay, so an engineering degree isn't going to work for me because I'm really bad at math and that's just not going to work. Um, and I, it, it took me that long to realize I was bad at math because I always thought I was pretty good at math. But actually in high school, um, I, I had my regular cal- calculus class, um, but then I, uh, somehow I ended up with one less class than all of my peers. And so during that period, I actually would take a, or go to the calculus class again. So I actually went to calculus twice um and I still like I still thought I was good at math but I needed that extra help I don't know. So I got home from my mission and I realized okay I'm really bad at math turns out. And so engineering is not going to work for me. Uh, I bounced around a couple other ideas and ended up in um uh, taking some accounting classes. I thought oh okay I'll get in the business school. I'll be an accountant like my dad. Um the first class uh was was fine and so I thought okay this will work out. The second class was just awful. I hated it so much. But in take, getting into the business school, I had to take an information systems class. And that was where I realized, oh, okay, so I can, I can have practical application of my, my technology skills uh, in a business environment. And that was interesting. So I got into the information systems program instead. Um, and then I, I got a part-time job where I was supposed to um, just do a bunch of monkey work. Like it was just clicking buttons and, and you know, lots of um, SEO related stuff. I was uh, ripping DVDs and uploading them to YouTube and just tons and tons of that sort of, you know, clicking UIs all the, all the time. And I thought, I hate this, uh, clicking UI, uh, clicking around. Uh, and with information systems, I was taking another programming class. Uh, and even though I was like, I'm not really into it, I can do it. And I, I did fine. Like I, I didn't really struggle with programming uh, I just didn't really enjoy it, but I thought, okay, w- well, I could probably write a program to do the stuff I don't like at my job over here, and so I did. They they let you know, they're really grateful that they trusted me to say, yeah, you can you know, take some time to build uh, automate stuff, and uh, and I did, and I was very successful actually. It worked out super well. Uh, this was a nonprofit, so they had a board of directors that com- came in. They had me present what I did to the board of directors so that they. You know give us more money and all that stuff and and uh and so that worked out really well i still wasn't convinced i wanted to program but uh, there were uh other experiences like this over time that i i just kept on finding myself programming to solve problems and eventually i realized you know what i actually like the process of solving the problem with software uh itself like you know not just having the solution but actually creating it as well and so I did eventually transition into uh writing software um at uh, my side jobs and and that is how I got into tech.
0: That's really cool. I it's interesting to hear someone doing the business academic side of things and then realizing how well technology actually matches up with that because that's my background as well i did a business degree Mm. because um here in the uk something that i actually find really bad compared to the us where over in the states you from what i understand you can pick your classes a lot better in in universities like you can try Mm. out a lot more stuff whereas here you basically have to commit when you're 17 so i was like i really don't know what to do business is the most like Kind of standard thing I can think of, um, so I, I went for that. Just did business, and then I was struggling to think of a way that I could become, you know, an, an entrepreneur or try try out business ideas easily. And then I realized that matching it up, although I went the other way, matching it up with my um, programming would be would be the way to do it. After I learned to code, so mm. it, it's interesting. It's a it's a connection people don't talk about a lot. And I always say, if you have an original academic background in in CS, then try try and learn a business module or you know whatever uh, and and vice versa because the two are so much closer than people give them credit for
1: absolutely and i i think that you can be the best developer in the world but if you're not building the, something that is a solution to real people's problems then um you're not really um, able. you're not reaching your full potential of impact um you may be having fun and everything and um uh, but uh where where people really get a huge amount of impact is where they're solving real people's problems. Uh, Some people get away with it because they're building developer tools or something like that. So they're like solving their own problems. And those problems happen to solve the problems of other people. Um, But uh, but yeah, I think for most of us, we're solving problems of, you know regular people in the world. And I think uh, having a a solid understanding of uh, the business side of whatever it is you're doing is going to make you more effective at solving those problems.
0: How do you recommend people find those problems to solve? Because that's probably the most common question I get. I opened up my LinkedIn inbox and everyone's saying you give good advice around like project-based stuff, but you never actually say specifically, how can I find these ideas? Because I can't find these unique ideas. How, how, how How would you respond to someone with that question?
1: Uh yeah you know that that is a, a really great question um as an entrepreneur myself um the problem that i solve is um helping people uh accomplish their goals as software developers and so i'm very um uh, very tuned into that world because I, I am a software developer so i am sort of solving uh you know my own problem in, in some ways i suppose um but uh, i i think that it um you need to uh, it, it would be a mistake to try a solve try to solve a problem that you do not understand and so you need to expose yourself enough to the rest of the world uh, or to things that you find interesting to understand the problems that those people face um, and so yeah you uh, it's, it's a difficult question to answer honestly um, how do you find the the problem because the the fact is that uh, let's say that, you have this dream of solving a billion dollar problem um if it was obvious then somebody else would do it uh, and so it's by by definition it's not going to be an obvious thing um that uh, like this problem is a billion dollars that you can develop a billion dollar solution for this thing um so yeah i would say uh, if uh I, try a lot of things i guess um i don't know i i'm probably not the person to answer this question because while i do have a very successful business uh it's a, a like a niche thing and and that's maybe that's the uh, the answer is like find something niche that uh you can as long as you stay small um you know it, you don't have to be a billion dollar business to find great success i'm not a billion dollar business um but i i still feel very successful in what i what i do and so um, yeah, maybe it's okay to, uh, not shoot for the moon, um, uh, with uh, your first idea. So.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree with that, and like I think the indie hacker movement in general has become so popular over the last couple of years, where people are seeing these niches that they can hit really hard, and if you have a unique value add in your niche, I mean, particularly in the context of people that maybe are career switching um they can think about what do they know about their previous career that maybe Mm. the average software engineer doesn't and then they can they can build on that but even if you're listening to this and you've done a cs degree and you've gone all through the conventional route there's still probably some kind of hobby or interest that you have um that that you're interested in like for example i'm I'm always boring the listeners talking about um talking about my escapades on the rugby pitch and you know there's only uh, only a few software engineers that play rugby right but i can Mm. make something related to that niche like it's something very specific to me and also even if you're not trying to build a business off it i think that still looks really good on your portfolio when you're applying for job one or job two where the competition is going to be much tougher
1: Mm -hmm, absolutely um i think for better or worse a lot of people when they get an application from uh from somebody they're going to be looking at your github profile and they're going to look at like what have you done Uh, because Uh, the fact is that we're really bad at evaluating uh, whether somebody uh, can solve problems that we have at our company, you know, from a software developer uh, perspective. So um, having a portfolio of stuff where you can show, I built this thing and it had this impact uh, can be really helpful uh, as well. So uh, yeah, you don't, you don't have to make money doing the thing uh, that, uh, um, or the solving the problem that you're uh, trying to solve. You can, like for rugby, you can uh, say, well, like, these, you know, recreational rugby teams, they're, you know, they're not professionals. They they go home and with their families and stuff. So I'm going to just build some software to make it easier for them to coordinate when they're going to practice, um, or, you know, when the, their, uh, matches are and all that stuff. So yeah, like you can throw together something simple that, uh, maybe people wouldn't pay for, but they don't have to pay for it for it to be valuable to your learning and your portfolio.
0: Yeah, exactly. Because it doesn't have to be the sort of thing where you are making tons of money from it. If it's something that's genuinely commercially useful for an end user, be that a business or or an individual, like the the recruiter um, at the company is going to be so much more impressed by it compared to, you know, the standard... Standard portfolio stuff people have, like you know, your your calculators, the uh, random quote generator, which definitely have their place, particularly while you're still learning. Um, like, are still, are still great. But uh, so, my background originally was a was a technical recruiter after university, and you know, I would just see the same, uh, the same portfolios over and over again to the point where I couldn't even be sure if the person had copied the repo or not. Oh, man, that was the problem. Um, so that that's that that's where the differentiation is is so important because to be blunt, like they know you haven't just ripped it off from somewhere. If, if you can say, you know, I am really interested in, um, trying to think of a example, <laughs> I'm really interested in space. So I've, I made an interactive website that shows you the night sky and you can look at the constellations by clicking on them and stuff like that. Like that's going to be way like more specific to you compared to, you know, your, um, you know, the standard, the standard ones that everyone has, uh, mm-hmm. like, like the tic-tac-toe and, and, and things like that.
1: Mm-hmm, absolutely.
0: And would you say kind of on a similar vein to that, you've obviously been involved with teaching kind of en masse via um via your classes, um, but then also as well interacting with a lot of devs uh who are trying to upskill um via Twitter and, and, and other places. Would you say there's like a trend that the average web developer in 2023, uh what what could they do to kind of improve their career, trying to, trying to get from junior to mid and mid to senior?
1: Um, yeah. So like what, what are the, the activities they can, um, take part in to, to upscale?
0: Yeah. So, so the activities, like what sort of thing can make them stand out or is there any Mm. key aspects of web development that they're maybe missing out on that would make Mm. them look really great?
1: Yeah. So from, um, like there, there are two aspects to this. There's, there's some things that you can do to make you technically better, um, which is an input into your attractiveness as like a a promotion prospect or, or you know, a hiring prospect. So there's, there's the technical uh, skill, but then there's also the perception, um, which is an important aspect of getting a promotion or uh, getting a job as well. Um, and I think both of these um, bear uh, discussion. So from the um, the technical upskilling uh, aspect, um, I think that wherever you're at. Um, as far as like shipping stuff you have holes in your knowledge um that uh that you don't know about they're the unknown unknowns and so uh just to get something shipped we naturally will skip over things on accident um that uh, to get the thing shipped and so we've got things that we're doing that are suboptimal and we don't know it um And so the only way that you can really beat that, because the the fact is that you can just like keep shipping the same way you've always been shipping and it can be suboptimal, but it can still work. That's, That's the interesting thing about our industry is that it doesn't have to be optimal for it to work. In fact, that's probably true for most industries. Um, And so the only way to break out of that uh, problem and be able to, you know, like the the way that you're shipping is uh, being suboptimal means that you're working slower or you you have to deal with bugs and like so you want to get out of that you want to be able to figure out what are those gaps in my knowledge. And the only way to get out of that is to to hunker down and learn some of the fundamentals. So I, I, I'm not saying that you have to learn the fundamentals to be a good web developer or anything like that. You can ship, and that's the most important uh, thing, anyway. Like lots of people build stuff and they never ship, and uh, so like you know you got to ship. But uh, if you want to be able to ship faster, ship more reliable uh, products and stuff like that, then you've got to buckle down and say, okay, I'm going to learn the fundamentals. And uh, there will be a lot of like review of stuff like, I already know this. Why am I doing this? You're going to feel that a lot, but there are going to be a surprising number of things that you look at and you're like, whoa, I didn't even know that. That That's way easier than what I've been doing this whole time. And so uh, that's what I would say from the technical perspective, like take whatever layer you're at and go down one layer below that. So if you're like, I'm a React developer and I'm you know, shipping React apps, React is built on top of the web platform. So go down one level deeper into, okay, now I'm working with the DOM APIs and now I'm working with the HTTP, like I'm making fetch requests myself. I'm not gonna use React query or what, well, React query you're making fetch requests, but like, you, you get what I mean. like. You just work one layer deeper from where you're at right now, and, and uh, that is what is going to take you to the next level. Uh, so it, it's kind of it feels backwards. You're like, oh, I'm working at this level of abstraction. I'm going to go a higher level of abstraction. No, that's not what you do. You go a lower level of abstraction, and eventually, maybe you're you're all the way down to you know zeros and ones. I, I don't know. if You really want to go that nuts on that? I I am not interested in that personally, but. So that's the technical aspect. The perception aspect is almost just as important. Um, The the technical aspect is what uh, lets you deliver what you promise you can deliver. But the the perceptive aspect of this um, allows you to be noticed by people who can give you these opportunities to deliver in the first place. And so it is really important that as you're developing these technical skills, that the people who um, can give you opportunities notice, and so if you're at a company, um, then make sure that people notice the the things that you're working on. You talk about it. You when you ship something, you send an email to your manager and say, "Hey, like our team did this. Like don't take other, p- credit for other people's work. That would be really bad. Um, but uh, but say like this is what our team did, and and like I'm really proud of this thing that I accomplished. It was really tough, but I, like I did it, and like that's fine. Toot your own horn, please." Um, write a blog post about what you did and say, Hey, can I put this on the company blog? We just released this new feature. Let me talk about it technically, or you know, can I put it on my own blog? Um, and, uh, and then like, uh, uh, another like really cool thing that doesn't actually help with people's perception of you necessarily. Oh, it probably would. But, uh, if somebody on your team or, or another team, uh, helps you a lot, send their email, uh, send their manager an email and say like, this is what they did. And they were awesome. Um, so I think that that can be really helpful, uh, also being in the room when big, important things are being discussed and, and decided, uh, don't be, um, an annoying person in the room. Like don't, don't distract people with different questions that like everybody else knows, but you, but, uh, but be there so that people like notice, oh yeah, they're like, they're involved and, and, uh, maybe there's something discussed in there that they say, oh, we need to solve this problem. It's a pretty easy, like just about anybody could do it. Uh, instead of picking you know, this other person who's a peer to you and just as good as you, they're going to pick you because you're in the room. Uh, so like, try to be as involved as possible. And that, that will help your, uh, the perception that people have of you, um, which is a really critical uh, part to all of this as well. So I, people will often say, it's not what you know, it's who you know. That's also not right. It's not who you know, it's who knows you and what they know about you. And so you need to be known and you need to be in in people's face in a positive way. So I actually have a blog post uh, titled uh, Stop Being a Junior Developer. Um, and so you can uh, look that up and uh, just search Stop Being a Junior. Probably my post will come up there. But uh, yeah, that basically comes down to uh, you are selling yourself short by not um, uh, being more um active in your career, career development so i'd recommend people take a look at that too
0: yeah that'll be linked to the description and i really like that quote of it's about who knows you uh like i couldn't agree more like you can put in all the amazing work but the reality of it is is most people have the um the kind of blinders on in terms of like they're everyone's working hard right we've all we've got lives outside of work we've all we're all very busy in in the tech industry and in our jobs and you know we're just trying to get our stuff shipped and you know we it's nice to see when a colleague of mine has done something well and, you know, to be able to recognize them. So, you know, you've got to, as you say, you've got to put put yourself out there. It's great for your internal brand um, is the term I've heard used um, for it before where, you know, you just get recognized for what you're doing. And I totally agree about the being in the room. I can't remember which, which like big tech person did this, but one of the like classic huge founders um, said that when he was in his early 20s, he used to go into meetings with the board. And then, if anyone questioned his presence, he'd say, "Oh, I'm just here to here to take notes." Um, and then that was how he got in front of them all. Um, that's think, amazing. Yeah, it might be Bezos or someone. It was someone huge um, who uh, who managed to get in that way. But you know, it's something to be learned from it.
1: That that that's brilliant, actually. <laughs> <laughs> you know, actually, so I was on uh, the uh, PayPal's delegate to the TC39. That's the uh, committee responsible for the evolution of JavaScript language and or the specification for ECMAScript. So uh, as a a part of that, uh, note-taking is very important and um, it is very difficult to take notes. So if you are uh, like, it's really, really difficult, seriously, um, (laughs) to take notes from uh, technical meetings like that. But if you can um, like do that sort of grunt work, then they will be happy to have you. (laughs) So um, I think that's, uh, yeah, that actually is a great idea.
0: In a similar vein as well, uh, something I've always done every job I've had is I volunteer to write documentation. Um, there is no quicker way to be more popular, and also as well, especially if you're more junior, it really helps you understand the code if you write the documentation.
1: Yeah, yeah, I like I can I acknowledge that some people see that as kind of a menial task or like a you know small thing. Um, but, uh, you can't be picky when you're getting started in the, uh, career and not only that, but like, it actually is helpful. Um, it's, you know, if you're not doing it, then somebody else who does have more experience and can make a bigger impact today is going to be doing that. And, um, and so it's not like, um, you know, this is something we're just shooing off to somebody, uh, because they're, you know, lowly or whatever. Uh, it's actually a, a necessary thing that needs to be done. Um, and, and I do appreciate, uh, that, uh, sometimes it is used in that way to like demean somebody or, or diminish their contributions. Um, and I think that's wrong, but, um, it, volunteering for it. Yeah. You'll be everybody's favorite person.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And imagine a world without instruction manuals, you know, documentation is very important.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
0: <laughs> Certainly, I think my IKEA visits without um, without instruction manuals would be would be even more of a disaster. Yeah, <laughs> I think my, my, my girlfriend could definitely testify to that one. Um, uh-huh. So, <laughs> speaking of the uh, developing developing skills, um, you've obviously launched Epic Web Dev, which is super exciting. So, first off, you could talk a little bit about that. But secondly, as well, what what did you choose to prioritize on the curriculum, and, and why what, why is it so important versus other concepts?
1: Oh, okay. So, I mean, how much time we got? Uh, <laughs> you got all
0: the time you need. <laughs> yeah.
1: So, Epic Web is is just, I, I want to contextualize it for everybody just because it is it is really, really big. If, uh, if in your mind you're thinking right now, oh, cool, of course, that's like a Udemy thing. It is nothing like a Udemy thing. Uh, you're thinking, oh, it's like an egghead thing. No, it's nothing like an egghead thing. Nothing like a front-end masters thing. It's a totally different thing from anything else you've ever seen period. And uh, maybe it's close to Epic React if you've gone through that before. Um, But uh, Epic Web is a um, series of self-paced workshops that I equate to um, like approaching a CS degree. Um, So like there's, eventually we will have the uh, enough material on there for me to say very comfortably um, this will teach you more than you'll learn in a CS degree at a, a university. Um, that is the, the ultimate goal for this. Um, for years, I've wanted to make a KCD.edu, um, but uh, edu do- domains are hard to get. So <laughs> so we went with dot, uh, dot .dev. But anyway, the, um, the idea or, or what Epic Web is today is uh, the only thing you can buy on there is volume one. Uh, volume one includes five uh, workshop repositories. Uh, or like broad topics that uh, cover every like just an enormous amount of what it takes to build a full stack application, and so uh, each one is a varying number of exercises. Uh, if you add up all that to uh, together, if I were to deliver this uh, as like live workshops, it would take about sixteen days worth of workshops. Which of course you wouldn't do in in sequence. You'd uh, do once a week or something like that. So. Um, and then on top of that, you do your, you know, work, apply what you learn to your own stuff. So I actually expect people to take six months to a year to get through all of the material that's on Epic web volume one. Um, so it's just a huge amount of, uh, amount of stuff. Um, What you can expect from Epic Web, uh, we've got the the foundations workshop um, and that is going to talk about styling and routing with like teach you all about the URL, uh, teach you how to get uh, resources onto the page. Um, We'll teach you about uh, loading data into the application and uh, how to mutate data with forms um, and managing stuff like uh, um, errors and, and things like that. So like foundational web platform stuff. Um, and all of this is using Remix um, because that's the, the best framework that I can think of to build a web application. And it also is the best one for teaching because it embraces the web platform so well that even if you're not using Remix, you can still uh, use the knowledge that you gain from this uh, workshop series. Uh, so then the, the second workshop, and that, that first one is about two days worth. Uh, the second one is a, about two or three days and it is uh, web forms. Uh, so we go really deep on forms. We talk about accessibility, focus management, um, you know, basic input validation, but also uh, really complicated uh, validation with schemas and things, um, and uh, like asynchronous validation, uh, that sort of thing. Uh, file upload. Um, and then complex structures, so sometimes you have um, like these set of fields that are all should be mapped to an object, but then other times you have like arrays of those fields. And so now you've got to have dynamic number of those things and how to make that so that you, it's type safe and progressively enhanced and everything. Uh, the whole thing is all TypeScript as well. Um, and so you get type safety from the database all the way to the UI and then from the forms all the way back to the database, um, all with uh, what I teach there too. Which is awesome. Um, we also talk about uh, like managing stuff like cross-site request forgery and spam bots, and, and how to prevent those from submitting forms, um, and uh, and rate limiting as well to protect yourself against those sorts of attacks. So yeah, the forms goes pretty deep as well. Um, and then we get into data modeling. So um, most, lots of uh, engineers that uh, this is or web developers. Um, we'll just use a service, and they don't want to talk about database stuff um, because they think it's really complicated. And um, you know, all everything that we do is complicated until you learn it, and then you figure out, oh, okay, it's actually you know I understand it now. Um, and so even if you end up using a service, um, understanding it will make you use that service better. Um, but uh, yeah, we do not use a service. Instead, we um, ha- have our own SQL database, and so uh, you're going to be uh, creating a schema and uh, managing many-to-many and many-to-one and one-to-one relationships uh, in that database. Uh, and you'll be uh, creating migrations um, so you can deploy those um, to production as well as uh, develop with uh, locally. Uh, you'll be seeding development and, and production uh, data. And uh, we go really, really deep on optimizing um, queries and stuff. So. Uh, we optimize the database uh, itself with the uh, indexes and stuff like that, uh, but then also we write raw SQL for a uh, really optimized query uh, to make sure it's as fast as possible. And then we actually go really deep into like analyzing uh, the uh, what's called the query optimizer, uh, which uh, SQL databases have uh, to help you understand like what is the... Uh, uh, database doing, uh, for this query. And, um, so that is super cool. We go, go pretty deep on that. You'll have a really good understanding of databases when you're done. Uh, and then we get into the really big one, which is web authentication and authorization. So that one, yeah, it's huge. Uh, it's that, I, I think it would take about six days to teach all of the material that's in there. Um, and, uh, and these are like intense days. You do not wanna do them back to back because like your brain will explode. So um, it is, there's a lot in there. Um, we talk, uh, in that we talk about uh, managing user preferences in the cookie so that you can get an understanding of the foundational, like the, the original state management solution for the web is the cookie. So we, we talk about that, uh, how to manage that properly um, and not, not just like, here, we're going to use this as an example, but like, this is how I would do this, um, using cookie to manage this state. Uh, and then we uh, use it for managing user sessions. Uh, we talk about uh, uh, hashing passwords properly and storing them safely. And uh, where like, even if you had a database breach, uh, your user's passwords would not be uh, knowable. Like nobody would be able to crack those passwords. Uh, so they couldn't like use them on other sites and stuff like that um and uh yeah then we get into um uh, uh, managing the session um uh, uh what's the uh, logout or expiration so you know like when you click the remember me checkbox on a login form everybody says that thing doesn't work no i explain how it it works and you'll understand it much better when you're done with this uh, and then the um, we talk about uh, permissions, so that the authorization side of things. So you can have admin users, and they can do special things and all that. Um, and then we get into uh, verification. So verifying a user's email is what they say that it uh, it is uh, verifying uh, or allowing a user to reset their password. You know, if they forgot their password, stuff like that. Um, we interact with a, a third party for sending emails, and we mock that out so you can do development locally and um, and then on top of the verification stuff we build for verifying the emails, we actually build two-factor authentication from scratch. And so you can uh, work on, you know, adding two-factor auth uh, to your application, which many, many apps really need. Um, and then uh, from there, we add third-party authentication. with uh, We use GitHub, um, and so that's got a flavor of OAuth. Um, but uh, from there, you could take it on to single sign-on. Uh, so if you're a, a building or working at a company that has, uh, is a business-to-business um, product, you're going to need single sign-on. And uh, so when we are all done with the WebAuth workshop, uh, you will be well-suited to implement that for your app. Um, so WebAuth is, is huge. Like there's so much in there. And a lot of people will just use a service and, and move on with their lives. And I think that's, that's fine. Um, But the benefit of learning it is you will use that service more effectively. Uh, You'll be way, way better uh, using that. Um, So then we get to the last one, and that is the testing workshop. So each one of these workshops kind of builds on itself. uh, So it's pretty linear. Um, so by the end, we have this full application that we just add tests to all over the place. And so we start with uh, a pretty simple playwright test, but the, that does involve uh, database interaction. And so we talk about how to do that safely. Uh, and then we do a uh, handle like mocking HTTP calls because uh, you know we've got third parties. We don't want to rely on those for our tests. Uh, we have our uh, authenticated tests as well. So you build utilities for... Uh, being an authenticated user, so you can do, uh, you know, test what the authenticated users can do. That's like most of the tests for most of the apps that people build are going to be the, um, uh, fall into that category. Um, and then we drop down to unit tests for like very well defined units that are, have like some complex logic or something you need to test. So we talk about how to do that. Um, we do our uh, the higher level tests like React component tests. Uh, I created React Testing Library, and so naturally I'm going to want to talk about it. Um, and uh, there's a, a lot there, too. Uh, then we get into um, testing, like, full remix routes uh, and the stuff that's involved to, to make that work and, and, like, actually talk to a real database during your tests. Um, and we do integration-level tests. We, we test the endpoint uh, code that responds for, like, when the user connects their GitHub account and so there's there are a lot of edge cases there, like what if the user's not logged in? Well, we got to log them in. Um, what if there's no connection there? Um, well, okay, they're, they're signing up, Let's send them on, over to onboarding. What if there's no connection, but we already have a user with the same email? Well okay, let's connect them and then we'll send we'll log them in. Uh, what if they are logged in? Well, okay, we're gonna just connect them. They're like there are a bunch of different uh, cases so we test all of those things. Uh, and then the, the very last thing that we do is, um, add um, real databases to all of our, our lower level tests. And so um, your tests are all running in um, in parallel all at the same time. Um, and we want to keep them isolated from each other. So each process is gonna get its own database and I show you how to get that um, set up so it's really efficient and and super fast. So um, yeah, there you go. That is, uh, And then actually as a bonus, I have interviews with 25 people. Um, I should count up how much... Uh, like the the number of hours of that but it's probably something like uh 17 maybe 16 hours uh worth of conversations with experts who uh, are in the field that um people really enjoy those too so there you go that's volume one of epic web
0: (laughs) super comprehensive then i wonder what you'll even find in volume two um Mm. at the rate you have
1: uh yeah i i actually i'm working on um the workshops for volume two right now um i think instead of releasing them all at once like i did with volume one i'll probably release them over time and um yeah the uh, one that i'm working on uh, right now is uh collaborative web apps so let's talk about like the fact that lots of apps uh, expect multiple users to be on at the same mm-hmm. time and so we'll we'll do real-time stuff and stuff like that uh you know streaming things like that and then uh, another one is caching. Um, they're just to make your app really fast. If you're talking to third parties and you've got rate limiting and all of that stuff, it's really important to know how to cache stuff. So, um, and then also like HTTP caching and, you know, fundamentals of that stuff too. So yeah, we've got, um, more things coming for sure. And, and um, There's, yeah, lots more than that, but that's as much as I'll say. (laughs) (laughs)
0: That's awesome. That sounds, sounds really, really exciting. And obviously it's all live now. So the link to that, of course, is is in the description. I think something that you mentioned a couple of times is yes, you may choose to use a service that handles a lot of the underlying technology for you. That's something that I've learned. And I actually learned the hard way a little bit because um, I have a business. I I, I work nine to five as a standard software engineer, um, but I have a business on the side, which is uh, not a dev tool or anything. It's a web platform that connects uh, graduates from university with startup jobs, be that technical or non-technical, um, and the infrastructure for that, um, a lot of it is relying on superbase. So uh, the authentication and the databases. And I went into that. I'm very much a front end developer, and I went into that with that much knowledge of how databases or, or even worked. Um, and I struggled with it and had quite a lot of issues at the start. And it was when I really read up and started actually in the end it took uh it took my friend Guillaume jumping on the call with me to explain some of the uh the sequel concepts to me um mm. that was what helped me understand so thank you Guillaume because he's probably listening um, <laughs> to, uh, to to develop my understanding that was really what cracked it for me and i'm suddenly able to use it so much more effectively and efficiently so no matter whether you choose to abstract it to a service or not understand these concepts are just so important
1: Yes, absolutely. And it's like what we were talking about earlier, Uh, wherever you are in your career, the way you level up is going a layer of abstraction down. Um, And so, you know, maybe you're at your company and you're using a service for your authentication. If you want to be the, you know, a step uh, ahead of everybody else, then you go down a, a layer and understand how that authentication stuff works. Um, and you'll be the person that people turn to when your auth needs some work or whatever.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And having that reputation as well as being the person people turn to, as we were talking mm. about earlier, the the internal brand that's absolutely massive. Um, yes. Is it, something I wanted to ask about as well? Is uh, obviously you have the huge glowing sign behind you um, around it for people that are audio uh, only. It's uh, it's 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 about remix, and obviously a lot of um, Epic uh, Epic Web is 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 around Remix, right? So um, first off, what was the experience like um, being the co-founder, leading the DevRel, and then also as well, why should people consider using Remix uh, as one of their options for building full stack uh, web applications?
1: Yeah, great question. So. Um, Remix was, uh, started in 2020 when, uh, the pandemic basically destroyed the react training business, uh, that Michael, uh, uh Jackson and Ryan Florence were working on. So they were, they were doing great. They were hiring people and, and having those people do trainings and stuff and everything was going awesome. They, uh, do primarily in-person training and then COVID shows up and like messes all of that up. And so they had to lay everybody off and, and now they're trying to figure out, well, what do we do, um, to make money? So they built Remix and um, they released that in like October or November uh, as a developer preview that you had to pay to get a license for. Uh, I paid immediately because I am uh, good friends with both Michael and Ryan. And so they were showing me uh, demos of things that they were building and asking me for feedback on different things. And And um, I knew that they had uh, nailed the foundation. And uh, for anybody who like, uh, knows anything about buildings, uh, you need to nail the foundation. Otherwise, like it doesn't matter how cool and fancy everything else is on top. And as I've been doing web development for a while, and Michael and Ryan each have been doing it for even quite a bit longer than I have, um, uh, I, I was able to look at this and see, okay, there's a solid foundation. There's a lot of stuff missing, but that's, that's a solid foundation that I can build on top of. They can solve all the other problems later. And so I, I jumped on early. Um, for actually, for a long time, my uh, uh, personal website was the biggest uh, remix app in the world. Um, oh, and, um, and it's definitely the oldest, biggest web uh, remix app in the world. Um, and it, it's it's not small, by the way, like if, if you don't, if you're thinking, oh, his portfolio one pager. No, no, no. I've got like a, a podcast app in there. You can record podcast episodes in my on my personal website. So it's not small. Um, but anyway, uh, I uh, after working on um, on my website and uh, and de- uh, getting that deployed, uh, I realized like this thing is awesome. I want to be a part of this. And and at the time, uh, I was actually building Epic React. Um, and so I launched Epic React um, the um, the year before. Uh, I launched my website. So around the same time that I was building Epic React, um, Michael and Ryan were building Remix. And so I was talking with them and I was saying, hey, I'm going to launch this thing and teach about uh, React and it's going to be awesome. And uh, I would like to teach about Remix one day. I think that would be cool. Um, But uh, they were still trying to figure things out and all that. So it it was fine. But uh, yeah, so then the next year, I was thinking, okay, I need to, you know, do something with Epic React, you know, because we've got this Remix thing, and I want to teach about that. Uh, And so Ryan said, hey, how about, you know, it's going to take a while before Remix is very popular. So adding Remix to Epic React probably wouldn't do much for you. But we have a a desperate, um, you know, community need. And like, we need somebody who can manage the community and manage education, documentation, that stuff. Uh, why don't you just come uh, join us so they'd actually already been in business for a year um, but they had me join as a co-founder a year later that's not really that uncommon Uh, i think that does Mm -hmm. happen sometimes um but uh yeah so i joined up with them um and i focused my attention on the community aspect uh, and documentation Uh, i ran the remix conf i got a bunch of meetups going um and um yeah, and then 10 months later, um, when I saw that uh, Remix is going to be just fine, like their community is in a good place, that they're getting acquired by Shopify. So like, I know that uh, it's gonna continue to go well. I wanna get back to teaching um, full time. And so that's when I jumped off uh, of the Remix train, uh, at least you know as a member of the company and went back to teaching um, and started building Epic Web. That was a year ago, last August. So. Been just a little over a year since I left and started working on Epic Web, so there you go. That is the whole story of uh, of Remix um, from the the story side and stuff. I, I can definitely talk more technical details of what makes Remix special, but that's the story of Remix.
0: That's that's really cool. I, I remember uh, actually not long after Remix went, uh, you know, open source. You didn't have to buy a license anymore, and um, I tried out for the first time. And I think it was actually the first full stack web application never used, and it blew my mind actually. I remember the routing. I don't know why, but for some reason the routing, I was like, wait, this is I don't know if you ever have this with certain dev tools. When you try something you're like, wait a minute, that felt too easy. That was uh, that, yeah. that was a feeling I got with remix, which I think is always the highest compliment. Like I've used a few, um I've used a few different frameworks, but remix just I think the documentation was just so good. I think that that was what I what I liked about it was It was just so simple to follow. And I liked how they had the three different... I don't know if that's changed since, but they had the three different... uh, Like the blues, the indie, and I forgot the third Mm, one. Yeah, the Um, uh, grunge. Yeah, the grunge, yeah, because they are all music genres, weren't they? Um, The three different implementations I thought was so cool and such a nice way to do uh, the documentation. I remember just um, checking out and just having an absolute blast during my 10% time at work, um, (laughs) you know, making fun apps using it. So, I mean, yeah, it's a fantastic tool. I mean, for for you... Obviously, uh, going back into that dev role for the next couple of minutes. Um, why would you say people should give Remix a go if they want to build their next, say their next business, even in a, um, a full stack web app? Why should why should they use Remix?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I I think there are um, the the fact is that whatever you choose to build your business uh, with, you'll probably work out just fine. Uh, you can use Laravel, you can use Rails, Next.js, Remix. Uh, Astro, that like any of these things, will work out just fine. Um, most likely, <laughs> um, the um, so like the I, I think one of the uh, challenges, uh, despite that, is we all are worried about making a decision that will uh, just be the reason that the business fails or whatever. Right, so it's not likely to happen, but the fact is that there is a little bit of a risk there, and so we're really. Uh, nervous to make this decision, um, and so one of the benefits of um, of using Remix is you can use the Epic Stack, uh, which is uh, the uh, a thing that I have put together its a project starter that will just get you off the ground. It already has all the authentication and database and, and everything set up for you. So you just hit the ground running and you don't have to worry about making the decisions. And I promise you'll be fine. Um, it may not be the most optimal way to build your web app. Um, it might be the most optimal way. I, I, it's impossible to actually tell. Um, but uh, So that that's one benefit to using Remix is you've got this starter that will just have everything that you need. Um, but from a technical standpoint, the um, as far as Remix versus Next.js is probably the most common uh, thing that people compare this to. Um, Remix, when it first came out, everybody was asking this question. And so um, we finally decided, okay, we've got to definitively answer this. And so we did. Uh, It's uh, on the Remix blog, you can look at a really nice uh, and very intense, uh, extensive um, comparison between the two. So uh, we took the Next.js e-commerce example that they had at the time, and we did we made two versions in remix we did one where we changed as little of the code as possible to uh, remix and then we made another one that was a ground up uh, rewrite uh, in remix and uh, compared uh, the versions and in every case remix came out on top uh, for both versions of the app Uh, and the rewrite was even better Uh, at the end of the day the user experience was better from all the the numbers standpoint like how fast it was and everything And then the developer experience was better because it was way less lines of code. Um, As an example, um, the Shopify integration for this e-commerce store in Remix um, or in uh, Next.js was like 8,000 lines of code. And in Remix, it was like 600. And so, like you know, lines of code isn't always the best tell for whether something is better or whatever. But I think it's a pretty good key indicator of developer experience, and um, and Remix has just nailed it, um, super, super well. Uh, it also it is going to be a really, really good framework for you to learn because uh, as you're learning Remix, you're actually just learning the web platform, and this is why oh, one of the big reasons why I Uh, spent so much time, uh, or or why I decided to use Remix for Epic Web, Um, because I don't want to teach you how to build a full stack application with no abstractions. Like, let's do everything from scratch. Like, that would be a waste of everybody's time. I mean, it probably pretty good educational value, but like, arguably, um, maybe a waste of time. So I need to use a framework, and the reason that I used Remix is not just because I was the co-founder. I don't have any stock in Shopify. Shopify acquired Remix, and uh, so yeah, I don't have any stock in Shopify or Remix or anything like that. So there's no weird financial incentive there. Um, I just really think it's that good. Uh, so there, there's that angle, but then there's also the fact that my goal is not to teach you Remix. Otherwise, it'd be called Epic Remix It's called Epic Web because my goal is to teach you the web, and if I taught you Next.js in Epic Web. Uh, because Next is the more popular one, it would be kind of the natural one if I was just after it for the money and everything. Um, Then uh, if I taught you Next.js, then it would have to be called Epic Next because I can't, uh, there's just so much about Next that you have to know to be able to build an application. You become a Next.js developer. But with Remix, you really do become a web developer because there's just so much uh, that Remix just steps out of the way. Like they give you the, uh, the web platform primitives and let you do whatever you want to with them, and they just have like light APIs around and conventions around uh, giving you access to the web platform. And so um, that is why I think people should um, invest some time into Remix, because they're not actually investing time in Remix, they're just investing time into the web.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. And yeah, as, as I as I said earlier, when when I first learned it, and I can only imagine that the documentation, the intro documentation, has improved since then. Which it is has, how yeah. simple it was to, to to get going. Like I was blown away by it, and you know, had a lot of genuine fun building it. And I think that's always the key, right? Keep learning, fun, and then you'll you'll not even realize you're learning. Um, yeah, yeah. I think is, is such an important lesson. And do you know what? I've literally just realized after three years after I first touched Remix, I think maybe two and a half. Um, the The uh, boilerplates and templates being music genres is a pun on remix. I can't believe that took me that long. <laughs> oh, there you go. I, I only tweeted because I was trying to think. Oh, what what's the reasoning for naming remix? And then I just realised. But anyway, <laughs> there's, a, there's me there's me exposing how slow I am to, to the entire audience. But there we go. Um, good thing I'm i into podcasting and not music. But um, so <laughs> for, for for the rest of the 2020s, obviously the there's a there's been a, a lot of innovations in JavaScript land in general. And I mean, in web development. That's only things are only going to get crazier with with AI coming in, and um, you know, new stuff like Web WebGL um, is getting more more popular. Like Web, there's web assembly, web assembly. seems to be a bit quieter now, from from what I understand. But there was a lot of chat around that. What do you see the remainder of the 2020s looking like for web development from a high level?
1: Yeah, you know, it it is really difficult to uh, to guess. Uh, you know, every uh, a year or two ago. Uh, Or three. Everybody was talking about Web three, and it's going to be the big thing, and crypto, and everything. And that's kind of like all of those people went over to AI. Um, And so um, I don't really trust those people Uh, (laughs) uh, because they're just you know hitching their wagon to whatever uh, they can hitch it to, which I think is not cool. But um, I am very encouraged by AI. Um, I I see very practical application of that, and I use it every day. And in fact, in Epic Web, um, I I do. Lots of instructors will say, "Okay, turn off your copilot and or you know whatever." I do not. I say leave it on. Uh, it's it's important, even if it's auto completing for you. You need to learn the skill of uh, evaluating the AI suggestion uh, and making sure that it's it's correct. Um, and so, no, I, I want people to leave that on. And in my videos, I have the uh, copilot running. Uh, so you see, like I'll just tab complete stuff. Um, and in fact, there's one uh, video where we're, we're writing the raw SQL query. And I can appreciate that most people uh, taking the video course uh, probably has never written SQL or, or very little. And so I demonstrate how to use AI to help you write that query and how to evaluate the AI suggestions and everything properly. So um, I definitely think that the future of web is very, very AI focused. Um, and eventually there will probably be like how to integrate AI properly into your application as a workshop on Epic Web. Um, I expect I'll probably do something like that in the future. Uh, so I, I think from a helping us develop standpoint, AI will definitely play a very important role. Um, and how to, uh, like the impact on our products that we build, AI will definitely play an important role. Um, it, I like, I'm not sure about much anything else though. like it's very possible that we'll hit the singularity and we're not coding anywhere anymore anyway and like the code that AI generates would be incomprehensible to us and, and but we can trust it because it like it's really good uh, whatever so who knows uh, what the future will be um, but uh, I, I think what's more important for us is just to um, make sure that we're on the right side of that um, and so like stay on top of, of things I would strongly advise people to not just throw everything away and bet everything on AI or, or anything uh, that comes in. Just integrate it slowly with what you're doing currently uh, so that, and, and keep your, your head out of the ground and make sure that you're watching the changes that are happening. Um, because, yeah, things are definitely going to change. Um, and we can't really guess what those changes will be
0: yeah i agree leverage it but don't let it take over everything you do i think is the best approach mm. uh, and yeah. you know definitely don't pretend it doesn't exist um because yeah. you know everyone else is going to have access to it uh, for sure but i i'm conscious of the fact i've, I've uh taken you over over the hour of uh booked i think it i took us over the hour <laughs> <laughs> no i mean it was fantastic i didn't realize how much uh how long we'd been on the call for this has been a really awesome conversation i really appreciate you coming on kent and you know it's an honor to speak to someone who is a major reason why I'm where I am today. So thank you so much for that and coming on the show.
1: Oh, thank you, Cam. I appreciate that.